We are creatures of desire. What we most desire is meaning. What makes us suffer most is a lack of meaning. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Marital therapist, author, and communications trainer Andrew G. Marshall invites guests from all walks of life to discuss what makes life meaningful. Hello, I'm Andrew G. Marshall. Welcome to The Meaningful Life. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. What do couples in my therapy office struggle with the most? It's under all the most common reasons for seeking my help. Communication problems, arguments that go round and round without being resolved, definitely infidelity and falling out of love. So what is it? Anger. Some clients cannot express it openly, but it sneaks out anyway. Others can't cope with their partner being angry and closed down. I have some clients for whom anger is a tidal wave that completely utterly overwhelms them. If I'm being honest, I think we all have a complicated response to anger, and that includes me. That's why I was fascinated by a workshop called Unlocking the Gifts of Anger. It's run by my witnesses today, Mar Estereas, who is a computational neuroscience PhD student at UCL, and Oshoya Severich, who is studying neo-emotional release. What did you learn about anger from your families growing up? I'm going to start with you, Orshi, on this one. Thank you, Andrew. And thank you for inviting us into this podcast. What I learned from my family was uh, not much, to be honest. About anger, it was just not allowed. And around my childhood, I didn't have any connection with my anger or my emotions in general. What I saw from my father is that he took the, maybe the angrier side of my parents. And my mother was, I would say, lacking anger, lacking the connection with anger. So it felt unsafe to be with this emotion. So I just rejected it completely. Therefore, I ended up feeling powerless and yeah, getting into situations that were not really good for me. What sort of situations did you get into? I couldn't stand up for myself in debates or like verbal discussions, but also in school, there was a time when I was almost bullied, but not very harshly, but I was just a little bit of an outcast in the class because they viewed me as a strange person. And if I would have had connection with my anger, I could have stood up better for myself. So Ma, what did you learn from your family growing up about anger? Yes. Hello, Andrew. Thank you again. So I resonate a lot with what Orshi has said already. And I think I would add that in my family, also there was like, there wasn't healthy expression of anger. I don't know, it was probably just unconsciously not knowing how to relate to anger in that way, in a healthy way. So I lived in a house in a very lovely, lovely household, but I think vulnerability was not a thing, you know? So vulnerability was like covered with anger. So with the years, I have learned to kind of see that in myself. And that's the relationship I got with anger. I also tend to 
suppress it. And there they come like people pleasing tendencies in order to not do, as Orshi has said, not being able to stand up by, for myself. But then this because it's so surprising, this outburst of anger when I feel very vulnerable because obviously my limits, my boundaries have been crossed and it's when anger comes up. And I think those are kind of like the, yeah, tendencies that I've picked down from family and growing up. It sounds like we're all in exactly the same boat because uh, <laughs> my family, we didn't do anger either. We used to do sort of a bit of a cold sulk and a... But that was about the most we did. But do you think that women get different messages from men when it comes to anger? Yes, absolutely. When women show anger, they are viewed as cold, as authoritarian, and just bitchy, if I may say. Men are perceived as dangerous when they show their anger. And... There's a stigma around the emotion for both genders. And I can see that it's a little bit more accepted with men because that's a sign of power as well. But with women especially, they deal with this in a way that it makes them appear weak, makes them feel weak. And what I see in my therapy room all the time is that uh, when women get angry, it immediately turns into tears. And that is something I have to say, men find angry women in tears incredibly difficult to deal with. They don't know what to do. Um, They (laughs) tend to run away. What would you say if your partner is a woman who gets angry and then turns to tears? How as a man do you deal with that? I think it's a very complex question. There's a lot of things to unpack in that question because the first thing is like, okay, anger, why are you showing tears instead of like anger is a very fiery emotion. It it is very strong. And some people are a bit scared of the strength of anger and that might go directly into tears. It might go into like, why? Because that, also, it's a, it's a way to not put your boundaries as like, we say like anger has a very important message and anger is always about if your boundaries have been crossed or like if your values have been wronged, something is very important that there is something going on. I would say as well for the woman to see what's going on with her boundaries and what's going on with her relationship to this like very strong emotions. And then for the man, I always say, okay, anger is a very beautiful, very raw, very vulnerable thing to show. If your partner is showing anger and tears, also try to see what is behind it. What is the vulnerability that she is not capable to show you? Like kind of hug her and hold her in that. And also maybe try to have the conversation of like, what's going on? Where are you feeling unheard? Where are you feeling not valued, because there is a very beautiful message, a very important message there. That's a, a beautiful thing to suggest, that it's actually about vulnerability. And if you can see the vulnerability, it's not quite so frightening for you. Exactly. I feel like if you can see many times when a person gets angry at us, sometimes we get like defensive and we get angry and return like, why are you getting so angry at me? But if you can see that the person who's getting angry 
is actually there is like a suffering behind it. Maybe you, have, you can have a lot of compassion for that. And instead of being defensive, trying to see what's behind that anger with compassion and with your heart and trying to tend to that suffering. So, Orshi, let's bring you in here. Thank you. Anger is a cover-up emotion for more vulnerable things, which could be sadness, grief, just feelings of hurt, fear, anxiety, amongst others. And anger is a protector for these that feel much weaker. And sometimes it's much easier to feel anger instead of our vulnerability. So if you have too much anger, it's a vulnerability issue because you're finding it hard to stay, to sit with your vulnerability. It sort of makes you feel big and strong and covers up your fears. Yes, absolutely. And if you have no anger or little anger, that's a disconnection from your dignity, your personal power. So how did the two of you get from being people who were sort of shut away from your anger to somebody who teaches workshops on anger? There was a five-week course in Psychedelic Society in London. We both attended Female Archetypes course, which was led by Gaia. And in one of the weeks, we discussed the warrior and the warrior had anger work in it. So in that week, we did an anger release session. And for me, that activated a part of me that I've never known that I had. (laughs) And from there, I felt so much more empowered in my own voice, in my own body, and I could claim my own truth and stand up for it. And so that was hugely transformational for me. And I became from having no anger to having lots of anger at first. (laughs) So I was a little grumpy one. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, slowly, slowly worked my way through to the middle. And yeah, this is a place where I have experience with both sides and I feel it's a very valuable place to bring this knowledge to others. And anger is an emotion that if we integrate that, it will change the world for the better. I think we should actually think a little bit about what the the gifts of anger are. Because I actually say to my clients, one day I'm going to write a book called The Joy of Anger, but nobody's actually ever going to buy it. But there are some positive and worthwhile things about anger. So maybe we should look at some of those gifts of anger. Yes, I think I've thought a little bit on that, on how anger has this very important message to give you. I think if you befriend your anger, if you know how anger feels like in your body, if you are not afraid to let it run through you, to understand, to take a bit of time with it. Many times we run away from anger. But if you actually have the time to, if you make the time to listen to it, it's just this very important message that it's going to show you where uh, like your boundaries are crossed, where your vulnerabilities are, where your fears are. And anger as well has a lot of energy for change. Like many of the protests, many of the like the social changes come from like a lot of angry people using that anger towards 
change. It's a, a lot of energy that one can even look as the other coin and then just see a like life force, just pure life force, sexual energy, anger energy is just a whole same fire from your belly <laughs> up. That can have such an important message, such a, a lot of radical change can come from that. A lot of alchemy, beautiful, beautiful alchemy. So you said you need to understand how anger feels in your body. Talk me through that because I'm not 100% certain how anger feels in my body. So I think there are some things, some physiological, very common physiological signs of anger, which might be like, you know, your blood is rushing. So you have maybe like tingling in your hands or like your face turns red because adrenaline is rushing through your body. That adrenaline, like, like that is a call for action at the end. And then there are some people that there is like individual people is feels anger in different ways in their body. This is something we actually do in the workshop, trying to see, okay, how do you feel anger in your body? Where do you feel it? Sometimes people feel in their fists or sometimes like their whole muscle, then like they tense. And I think it's important to realize and spend the time, okay, what's happening? What are the sensations? Because at the end, it's all just sensations that are moving through it. For example, Andrew, where do you think, like, if you feel anger, where would you feel it in your body? Do you know? Uh, that's a very, uh, that's quite a difficult one. But I sort of feel that, because um, I'm, I'm afraid to say I can rationalise it away. That's one of my problems. And then it just comes out in a bit of a meh, a little bit like my parents used to do. What a surprise. <laughs> um, where would I feel it? I think I might feel it in my guts. Yes. The liver is an emotion that detoxifies our body. And on an emotional level, Anger is connected to the liver. It's sort of detoxifying our system from that potential toxic emotion that could be anger if it's repressed. And if it builds up, it's like a pressure cooker. And when the gut shows up, that's one of the places where anger can live. And what happens if you don't express your anger? If you don't express your anger, it builds up and your muscles store that pent-up energy. And in long term, it can lead to depression or illnesses, body like, for example, liver problems who had no connection with anger or suppressed anger all their lives, they will most likely have some problems with their liver. And that could come out as road rage as well, in inappropriate places. Yes, I think because anger is such a strong emotion, if you don't actually have the time to like listen to it and or make the time for for it to be expressed, as Oshi has said, you just push it down, you numb it down and numbing at the end, I really feel like you cannot just numb one emotion. They come in like in this package. So you, you just turn the dial down of all of them. So if you don't express anger, I believe you won't be able to express emotions as joyful emotions as well as high as you could. Like, I guess you can fly as high as your river down steep, you know? Like, so I feel that anger, if you actually can turn the dial up, 
you will see that all the other colors of all the other emotions also dial up as well. That's why we say sometimes it can cause anxieties or depression. Certainly, I see that when couples come to me where one partner has fallen out of love with the other one, they are trying to suppress their emotions because, you know, it's not very nice to be angry with your partner. So you dial it down, but you also end up dialing down the love and you become like flatmates together. And nobody wants to live with a flatmate. They'd much rather live with a lover. But unfortunately, the first emotion that comes out when you ask people to express their emotions is nearly always anger. And then we get terribly upset about anger. Yes. I think it's important to find first safe spaces to release your anger. So you're not going to release your anger in a way that harms your relationships or, or yourself. So if you have a lot of stored anger, for years and years of repression and suppression, then it is good to find spaces where you can safely release it, where you can safely start to learn and to listen to it. And then in the middle of the conversation, if you're like getting angry, it is also very okay to just say, okay, I'm just going to go to my room and like, you know, punch some pillows or like do some exercises of like anger release and then come to see what's going on, what's this anger telling me. So give us some examples of anger release exercises. You can express your anger discreetly <laughs> with a pen and a paper and just aggressively scribbling on the page. That's one of the exercises that we offer for office environments where you cannot make a noise, but still need to do something with it. If that's not possible, you can take a moment, take five minutes, go to the toilet, go to your room or to a forest or sit in the car, like safely parked somewhere <laughs> where you can make noise. If you cannot make a noise, you can either use a pillow or your hands to mute the sounds, to muffle the sounds. And it's important to use your body to move your entire body. The hips can store a lot of emotion and the gut, as you already mentioned, and our whole body with the muscles. So you can either punch a pillow or punch something that's safe to punch, like a you can have boxing gloves and also if you do sports, that could be a good anger release as well or running aggressively. <laughs> and don't be afraid of your aggression. That's often where people get stuck, that they are afraid of experiencing their own aggression. And I think it's very important, at least that's what I've learned, to actually make certain you've actually got all the anger out of your body, that it's not actually stored there. So going for a run or shaking it out is really important because otherwise if it's stored there, it's going to be available for the next time you're angry to come out. So you're not going to be angry about the fact that your partner left their shoes in the middle of the hallway. You're going to be angry about that and about 17 other things as well. And it's a bit of a shock to your partner that you can get quite so angry about 
one small thing, but they don't actually see the, all the other things that are actually stored in your body. Exactly. And there are also other exercises for uh, sexual frustration or trauma release. Humping pillows is one of the fun or interesting exercises that everybody really likes. And it comes with a lot of giggles, but also very deep fear sometimes. Yeah, so I think in releasing this stored anger with all these exercises, I feel it's important to say that there are two ways to access those feelings of anger. We work a lot with like these two pathways of like mind to the body, like a top-down regulation or a bottom-up from the body to the mind. In the sense that some people come to the workshop with a very clear story, like I am very angry about the ecological crisis that are going like, whatever, it doesn't even have to be about you. Anger has like very like different levels. And then that's mind. And then you go into these exercises that Orshi has explained of like punching pillows or scribbling out the paper or moving your body and giving it a voice, letting it invigorate you through a story to the body. But then some people are not they're like, they come and like, I'm actually pretty chill. Like, I just never felt anger before. And that's where we go into a bottom-up accessing of this emotion, where like, you do the movement and you do the movement with the body. And, you know, the body has so much wisdom. The body knows many things that our mind don't really understand yet. And through this movement of body, then there is this release of anger, then the, the mind starts to understand and then it goes into this like very beautiful flow. What we haven't actually mentioned yet is violence. And I think that that is one of our problems with anger, because the minute we start talking about anger, we start thinking about violence or verbal abuse and various other things like that, because we don't want to tip over from healthy anger, and perhaps in a moment we'll define what healthy anger is, into what I would call acting out, which is when either you're going to become verbally violent, you're going to become physically violent, or maybe the, the violence is going to turn inwards and you're going to harm yourself in some kind of way. So I think we need to talk about violence. How do you deal with that topic? When anger is turned inwards, it can also turn into autoimmune diseases very often. And when it's about couples, at first, I wouldn't really recommend experimenting with acting out on anger in a couple situation or in pairs. If you get to know your anger and once you get a grip on it and you know how it feels and you learn how to manage it, then you might be able to bring that into a conversation or a situation where you feel safe to express your anger. I would say at first, it might be a bit more helpful to leave the room, even for five minutes, 10 minutes, while you release it in a contained way. And then when that emotion discharges, then you will have a message from anger or you will be able to tune in and see yourself in a less clouded way. Then anger can also look like just a simple no. 
know is a full sentence. So you will be able to deliver what is your problem in a much more contained way. Exactly. Like anger doesn't really mean violence, although it is kind of seen like this in society. I think anger can turn to violence if you don't have a relationship with it. If you suppress it and then it becomes and just turns into outbursts of anger in situations or in levels that are totally like exaggerated. And that's why we find it very important so that anger doesn't turn into violence to have this relationship with it, not to fear anger so much. So what is healthy anger? What is healthy anger? Healthy anger is when you can see where, because as we've been, we've been saying like anger has this message of like, it tells you where your boundaries have been crossed or where your values have been wrong. Or if someone around you that you love or yourself is being threatened or is being seen in danger, it's this call to action. It's a very invigorating emotion. I feel like when you can actually, when you don't use anger as a cover up for vulnerability, when you don't use anger as outwards of, of like uncontrollable violence and you can actually see what is behind it, that is how the anger is going to show you, it's going to give you the power to say no. It's going to give you the power to show other people, well, here I stand and here are my boundaries, here are my values. And that is a very beautiful and very important quality to have. I always say healthy anger is angry at the right time, you know, when it's actually happening rather than later, with the right person, because often we can kick the cat, so to speak. So we can't be angry with our boss. So we come home and be angry with our partner, for example, and at the right level. What do you think of that? Absolutely. Anger will also give you energy to be brave enough to face the person who you have a problem with. And regarding violence, there are also situations when if your life is threatened, you have to act on your anger to protect yourself. So you might get tangled in in the head and the thoughts like, oh, I don't want to hurt them. But if Really, if your life is in danger, you have to act on the anger. So how do we deal with the two extremes that I see? So I get venting, so we need to get it all out, and they will tell their partner what's wrong with them 17 times. Uh, They'll repeat the same criticism over and over again, which actually, as you could imagine, makes the other person angry. And then the other one is closing down and running away, just let me be myself. And that actually can feel quite abusive to the other person when you sort of run away from that anger. So how do you get round those two extremes? I think it's all about what is behind it, you know, like it is never about the shoes or the socks on the bed or like the wet towel or whatever, you know, it's never about that. It is something behind it. I think it's to see what is the suffering behind this anger? Where is the suffering behind you running away? And having a very honest and uncomfortable, probably, conversation with your partner, say, 
maybe you feel that you're not valued or maybe you feel like you're not a priority anymore or that you are not being cared for. And those are very vulnerable things that may show up with anger if you don't have this uncomfortable conversations with your partner. When you have no anger, you can turn into a doormat and nobody wants that. It's not good for anyone, but just because you don't want to hurt anyone and you don't want to say anything, it doesn't mean that it's going to help the relationship. So there's three stages. When you have no anger at all, when you have either lots of anger or lots of outbursts of annoying complaints that doesn't take you anywhere. And the third one is when anger is contained. The third stage, ideally, is when you're able to live your emotions and listen to them and connect it with the information. Like instead of having lots of complaints and outbursts, bring in the vulnerability besides feeling your emotions. And that will make it real. That will bring it down to the ground, to a tangible thing to your partner. That what does it mean for you when, for example, I see my partner leaving the room or leaving for work without giving me a a hug or or a smile? It doesn't really seem like a big deal. But if it makes me angry or frustrated, then I feel that there's a um, deeper vulnerability inside that I find. And from my own experience, that was, for example, the situation was a, a feeling of hurt, of abandonment, and something that I don't feel that comfortable with expressing to the other person, especially if I want to appear like a capable person, especially in workplaces as well. I have to show that I'm capable. I cannot show my vulnerability. So that's where I need to reach to this vulnerable part and actually own it. I have to own that I feel hurt right now. Maybe I feel like I've been treated in a way that's not ideal and I have to act on what I found and connect with the person. Anger can be very connecting in this way if you know how to contain and transform it. And so, yeah, it takes trust. It takes trust to tell your boss, to tell your partner how you feel. And it has a lot of potential for deeper intimacy and connection. And almost if you are not intimate with your partner or you don't feel intimate, there is probably a lot of suppressed anger around. How do you actually start to get to that anger in a productive way? Because I often ask people to report their anger. So I'm feeling angry when you because. So it's not I'm angry all the time. We, it's actually only under specific occasions. So I feel, in this case, angry when you, and then you explain why, because they might actually think it's for an entirely different reason. So that's where the because is. If something still bothers you in 24 hours, speak up in 48 hours. I think that's a very, very good tip. <laughs> so if something still bothers you in 24 hours, deal with it within 48 hours. I love that. Thank you for that. Yes, I think 
It is very much sometimes there is a fear in when you are angry that if you actually with a partner, if you show your anger or if you show where your boundaries are, there is a many times this fear of rejection. Or if, if I show my boundaries, then they're going to leave or it's not going to be so easy anymore. And I found with, with time that this is probably just like the opposite, you know, having those boundaries and having the, this anger will not make the other person leave, but actually just create a level of respect and trust that the other person can say no as well. And knowing that and kind of, it is sometimes difficult, to, but like feeling that and practicing that, it can bring a lot of respect and trust and confidence into the relationship. And also when your partner has a problem with you or when one of the partners has anger towards the other, it doesn't mean the end of the relationship. And we have to normalize our emotions and that we can go through all sorts of feelings. And then if you can normalize it for each other, for example, if you meet regularly once a week, once a month for a truth-telling hour, or sometimes I call it a bitching space, (laughs) 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 when you can safely bitch about each other, (laughs) when you feel heard and listened to and respected in your own opinion, that doesn't mean that your relationship is a bad relationship because you have these feelings. Yeah. I just want to add this beautiful, beautiful quote about our friend Amiela said this to us, like anger is just love protecting its home. So if, if you actually are able to accept the anger in your partner, if you are able to hold her or him in that anger and say, I love you, many times we'll see that the anger just dissipates and there is this beautiful love of protection of vulnerability hiding beneath it. So what do you think about the idea, don't be angry in front of the children? So, you know, you don't have the rows in front of the children. Is that good because it actually protects them or do they learn nothing about anger? Yeah, I think that's um, complicated. Like what kind of anger are we talking about? Like healthy expression of anger where two people can conversate and can like show vulnerability and can show their limits and they can say no to each other because I think that it's very, very important. If you see your mom, if you see your dad actually saying no and like being strong in that decision and looking for themselves and protecting themselves, that is very important. I think that anger held in like a healthy, like violent outwards way, then no. But then we're we're talking about different kinds of anger. But I do think a healthy expression of, of anger when one really protects themselves, it is important to show. And also passive aggressive anger is also a no. When you don't own your emotions, that's what happens. And children will not learn uh, how does it look like to have a healthy expression of our emotions. And also it will be either they will feel like they need to keep it secret if this happens, or it's just not safe and they don't want to go there. And they will not develop the skills that take to manage themselves. 
I think as well, maybe the naming of the emotion is very important. Like I feel anger now and like just making it a thing that like you one can feel without it looking dangerous or or violent one can feel anger without that like thing that we normally relate to anger now it's just like this uncomfortable feeling so in a moment we're going to have a letter but let's take a break The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material and other benefits. So... If you'd like to participate in The Meaningful Life, that would be absolutely wonderful. You can go to my website, www.andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcasts, and you will find a form that allows you to send in a letter. While you're on my website, why don't you sign up for my Substack newsletter as well and hear news about The Meaningful Life and particular advice on uh, relationship topics. I send one out every two weeks. And this is a letter that we've had written to us. I currently feel my life is stuck and cannot see a way out. I'm stuck in a job I hate and haven't seen any growth for the past five years and have been receiving rejections to applications I've written. I recently broke up with my boyfriend, who I loved very much, and I've been almost always in tears because that was the only thing going well in my life. I do have friends, but they're scattered all over the globe, and I've always felt that I lack a sense of community. Do you have any advice for me on how to get out of this rut? Do you think there might be some suppressed anger here? Yes, I I can sense a lot of frustration in that letter of the stuckness of like something that wants to kind of like, you know, like get out. There is something in it. But I also see like their life is just like turning. And I was like, if they could see it like as this big opportunity that everything, yes, everything is falling apart. That means as well, a lot of new space. Maybe if there is something that is being stuck, is maybe there is something that's not being expressed. Something that is not letting this new, you can call it energy or new opportunities to come into their life. So, Orshi, what do you think? I would ask myself in this situation, can I allow myself to feel the pain of the situation fully? Because if I'm able to hold that, if I'm able to look in the eyes of the dread that I'm feeling, (laughs) then that would wake me up. That pain would mean that I just don't want to be in that pain anymore. So that's definitely an activating potential here. So let's go through the different parts of it. There's the problem at work. I mean, if there's a job you hate, that's probably really quite a strong message, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. If you recognize that you hate your job and if you want the best for yourself, then you probably wouldn't choose something you hate. And is there any way that you can make the job better or the work situation? Or is it time to go? 
And if you validate your emotion, if you validate your anger, you listen to it, then it will kick your butt (laughs) 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 and call for change. Yes, I think there is this very, very strong wanting for change. But at the first level, we need to sit down, as Orsi had said, with our emotions. We need to listen to them. We need to experience them before we can let them go. So then we move on to the boyfriends. Because I'm finding the idea that this was the only thing going well in my life. I'm feeling a little rebellious about that idea. Because if the relationship was going that well, why did it actually collapse? There's a part that was disowned that I feel. I mean, it's up to both of them. But if they don't own the problems, if they don't own the frustration, if they don't acknowledge that, then it can create the illusion that the relationship is going so well because those little insignificant parts that were the arguments or whatever caused to the breakup, they don't, don't mean that much. So people have a tendency to make things a bit more beautiful than they are just because it would hurt to acknowledge the pain. And yeah, it's very important to connect with anger because that would show something deeper here. I think from this whole letter, even in that is like the only thing that was going well in my life. There is a very stuckness in the past life of this person. Just I feel that there is this change of perception that needs to be made. There needs to be this click of, okay, everything that was in the past and being very radically honest with oneself and how am I contributing to this situation? What am I doing? There is this beautiful book called Existential Kink. Existential Kink. Kink. (laughs) From Carolyn Elliott. Yes, it's a very interesting book about how do we actually contribute to all these things that, are, that we don't like in our lives, but how are we contributing to them and how are we finding a secret pleasure in them? Like, what is this feeding a part of myself that actually finds comfort in having a job I hate, that actually finds comfort in in all these things, you know, like there is something about staying, about being small, that sometimes that is very comforting. And then when one is brutally honest with oneself, okay, I'm actually, this is quite pleasurable for me in some senses. There's this change of perspective and one can actually move forward because that is made conscious. And one can, when something gets to the conscious perception, then one can choose to start changing that, at least. Now, I think that both of you have um, moved around quite a lot, because I think you both live in the UK, don't you? But Mar, you're from Spain, and Orshi, you're from Hungary. So this idea of having people scattered all over the globe, I think, must probably is a familiar one to you. So what advice would you give on uh, finding a sense of community where you are? Yes. So I actually just had a very beautiful realization 
not, I, I relate a lot with that letter because I'm finishing the PhD. I don't have a job yet. I also just finished a relationship, had to, didn't have a house. So like also my, and, and I felt I didn't have community, but then suddenly where all these things happened, I felt like all the women in my life, even they are scattered all over, like from all over the continents as well. I've like traveled a lot and I felt really blessed about technology in this sense, because there is this sense of community that can happen even if you're not close to them. We have the tools now to feel quite close, even if we're very far away. And then to really maybe reach out and connect and try to be proactive in the sense of community, a community that you, you build. And at the center, when you go back to your center and find yourself of like, maybe there's a sense of belonging that you can find in yourself. And then you will realize the community around you that is there. I would say, don't be afraid of acknowledging and feeling your loneliness if you feel that way. And every place has a sense of community and women's circles gave me that when I came here. Also in-person workshops or activities, music events. If you have any hobbies, connect with artists, go to galleries together contact, improv, movement, dance, all these activities and hobbies have a big sense of community around them. So if there's anything you love, everywhere you go, you will find people who do something similar. And that also gives you local people to meet up with. So besides of keeping in touch with your friends online in other countries, it's very important to have people who are there around you physically as well. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to have to ask you as a witness on The Meaningful Life, what makes your life meaningful? Let's have Ma first of all. Yes. So I've been thinking about this a lot and what makes my life meaningful is to walk the path of life with intention. The intention bit, I think the life path is made by walking. It is through walking the path with intention that you actually create the meaning. And there is something about like having an intention with your heart. It goes back to like making a life like a ritual, like a ceremony. And that makes my life meaningful. Or she. Connection and creativity make my life meaningful. When I can touch the essence of my own soul and other people's souls as well. And it can be through sharing art, sharing activities, very good conversations, finding soul family. <laughs> yeah, so feeling connected and creating something that feels good and touches that essence. So this is when we're going to have to end the conversation, but it doesn't end if you're a supporter of The Meaningful Life. We're going to be talking about three losing strategies and three winning strategies for dealing with anger. So I'm going to share some of my ideas. I'm going to see what Ma and Orshi have to say about them. And we'll generally look at losing strategies and winning strategies for dealing with anger. 
If you would like to hear the bonus material, you can subscribe directly via Apple or Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music. If you want to become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and get access that way, here are the details. You've been listening to The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. You can follow Andrew on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. Making, editing, and distributing The Meaningful Life comes with substantial costs, and we'd like to ask for your help. Visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material for every program, send in a letter to be discussed by Andrew and his guests, and join a community of other people seeking to make their life meaningful. At the gold level, you get even more benefits. Production of The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall is by Michael Dooney. Social media by Madeleine Healy. Sound engineering and theme tune by Sebastian de la Luz Mendoza. And I'm Susie Colick. Please tell your friends and spread the word. Thank you.